Hey guys, welcome to Break the Gate Podcast. We got Mario back. Uh, last couple Hello podcasts, everybody. he wasn't here. Um, he was getting his herpes checked out, so he's good to go now. Back. Yeah. Oh, start the show, man. Wow. Yep. Uh, <laughs> we got Zachary <laughs> Davis. Uh, he is out in Florida. He was a Treasure Coast promoter um, in other areas. Uh, Treasure Coast is just what I'm familiar with. Uh, Zach, how are you today, man? I'm good, man. It's awesome. I've good. never been described as the Treasure Coast promoter, but I'll take it. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, <laughs> got a ring to it. You know, I, I wanted to sum up your uh, your job performance by one specific yeah. area. So Treasure Coast <laughs> was the first thing I thought of. It's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Do you want to go into a little bit about uh, yourself and uh, who you are? Who is Zachary Davis? Who is Zachary? Cool, man. So let's give you a little bit of origin. So I was like 14 and uh, I started dating this girl and this girl was like, hey, you should come to like a local show. Like, you know, I was kind of into metal and stuff. And I was like, wow, they do that locally. That's cool. So she's like, yeah, come to this show. So I was like, okay, let's go. And I went and uh, it was cool. And then I started going to a little bit more. And one of the door guys was like, hey, you know, you could like intern here and get into shows free. And I was like, for real? I could work here for free and you'll let me in for free? And they're like, yeah, you could even work at the office. And then you only have to work during the show. I was like, done, I'm in. So every Tuesday I would start doing office days. And uh, I remember my mom thinking that they were just going to be like a bunch of dudes with bongs. But no, I walked into that office and it was like super legit. Like we had like four desks. We had four landlines. Some of your uh, people may not know what a landline is now, but yeah. um, we had four different phones set up. All those and, Gen uh, Zers. We calling bands. Yeah, I know. So like um, I started off as an intern and then I started doing stage management for our local production company. And then I moved up to being part owner. And then eventually the original owner uh, took off and uh, passed it on to me. So I did it for a few years and then then I think we all got old and the scene changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, did, yeah. yeah, it was little Reggie's productions yeah, and um, we just used to book a lot of awesome concerts. And sometimes we would book bigger bands. Like uh, I was super into punk rock around that age. And I remember seeing on our website that we had booked leftover crack in Orlando. And I said, dude, that's it. We're legit. This is the most legitimate thing I've ever been a part yeah. of, which is wow. so funny to look back <laughs> and think that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. That's cool. What, uh, what venue was this? Oh, uh, dude, so the main venue we booked out of was the legendary JCs with the legendary bathrooms that went viral hey. on YouTube for being the nastiest bathrooms. Yep. Um, and yep. then we also booked a bunch of community centers, Legion Halls around the Orlando area. We booked in Vero. Um, and Vero were some of my best concerts, man. I feel like yeah. because Vero had nothing to do there, like when we put something yes. there, it was like everybody's going to show up. And you had some really good bands out of there, like uh, – abolish and drowned out before abolish and uh, away with you for those who remember that mm-hmm. band yeah yeah yep. so there was definitely Mario, just so locals. you know vero is vero beach uh that's yes. where i grew up so that's the local shows i were i was going to i started yeah, going okay. to as i was okay. growing up somewhere yeah, 14, between the space center and west palm beach is vero beach it's drive through yep. country but it's also awesome i love vero beach i think vero beach is rad mm-hmm yeah yeah and yeah, we dude. did some awesome shows there man so i remember doing the heritage center and the henniger center and we in the later years uh one of the best bands i ever got to work with was rotten out um i thought they were just so amazing dude just so thrashy legit southern yeah. i'm not so like socal hardcore like it was like booking mm-hmm. suicidal tendencies they were legit <laughs> that's fire hell yeah, yeah. dude that's cool yeah, so, man. What, were these, so uh, uh, what were these bathrooms like just super super punk like <laughs> 
I was going to ask that down. question. I mean, I've seen Gnarly. it, but I wanted you to try to give a visual it's or an auditory representative. Yeah. I remember this. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember what band it was, but it was a touring band. And the guy came out of the building and he was like, dude, I have to poop so bad. I need the van. I can't poop in there. <laughs> he was like, I have to go somewhere else. <laughs> like, they were just like, um, like old school, like 70s flower walls and like, you know, stalls with writing all over them and like just toilet seats mm-hmm. that were broken and just punk rock kids mm-hmm. just being nasty in there. Here's the crazy thing is oh, that yeah. right before that building shut down, because um, we didn't own it, we like kind of rented it from the guy and then it got weird at the end. But like I got two toilets donated to put in there and my friend and I took out the nastiest toilets in the world, pl- replaced them, and then they shut it down without telling me. And there was just two brand new <laughs> On Chris and toilets just sitting in there, and I was like, "Son of a gun, <laughs> dude!" But I was totally going to try to. Yes, I did. <laughs> I was totally going to try to Google the uh, bathrooms to see if I could find the pictures. I typed in uh, the... JC's nasty bathrooms, and the first thing that pop up popped up was hot bathroom hookup with JC. Uh, i don't know if i don't know dude it. <laughs> it's getting hard to find things on like the youtube archive but there was a video i saw and it went like i don't know hundred thousand views and it was like nasty's bathrooms in the world it was jay-z's bathrooms so if anyone could find that that'd be amazing yeah, yeah i'll see if i can find it and then when i when we post the uh, podcast i'll uh, i'll drop the link in the description awesome um, that's what i've always want to be known for on my podcast is get those nasty bathrooms <laughs> yeah let for me sure. tell you man the struggle is real on the road like i was i i was a front man of a post hardcore group so at that time it well, was man. a lot of smaller clubs and uh we were called human after all at the time which is how i know chris um because yeah. he was interested in, in managing us uh years ago but like being a vocalist i um would drink i needed lukewarm water so if i couldn't get like warm water from like the bar or whatever i would go to like whatever sink i could find for the sake of like keeping my voice and i would drink water from these fucking nasty bathrooms and these like gross taps but it was for the it was for the art man it's for the performance but yeah you probably grew some bacteria to coat your throat to protect you just yeah yeah the tone dude have you seen uh so they got this um spray that you can like I don't know. It's like a, a vape type thing where you do, you put it over your mouth and it like sprays the back of your throat. And it like it's supposed to help with like vocals, like screaming and singing and stuff like that. But it like there's some it, things like, coats it with like yeah, with some kind of film that like helps soothe your vocal cords or something. You shouldn't then you're doing it wrong anyway cuz you if you're doing it right, you don't need that. That's, <laughs> valid. That's from Melissa Cross, <laughs> best advance vocal coach in the world yeah Wait, who i was? remember uh but melissa cross she's taught like spencer from under mm-hmm. oath keith buckley yeah she's famous for the uh the zen of screaming which was like <laughs> okay taking hardcore vocals and breaking it down into like it's it's just like singing it's you got to do it correctly if it hurts don't do it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's crazy yeah i remember um let live we booked them in melbourne and uh they um the guy was doing vocal lessons like for a passive like a little income and i was like man that's a cool idea you know because they're so stoked to like come to the show beforehand and like get a lesson or guitar lesson whatever they're doing you know i appreciate anyone who's like figured out how to like make extra money because as you get older you realize like 
you know, nobody makes money at that level. Like you were doing it clearly because you love it. Like maybe it'll come one day, but like, dude, like being with four sweaty dudes and just touring around in a van and making like a couple hundred bucks a night, <laughs> yeah, it is a journey man. boy. But you know, you can't beat it, man. I was always more on the production side of like the venue, but you know, always hosting touring bands and just seeing the struggle and the strife so much driving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you have to like, if you have to poop and you, you come across a place, you're just like, Oh, come on. Like, just, just give me a, a normal bathroom. Like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. So and we booked some awesome bands into, out there. Yeah. What, oh yeah, dude. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I was going to say, can you go into a little bit of the process of uh, what it took to kind of book some of the bigger bands? Like, was that just sure. a natural progression of just, you know, eventually you got to that point or. So I'll talk about it in like three different parts. So because I came on to the production company, the production company, Little Reddy's Productions, started in 1997 with uh, my dear friend to this day, Josh Benfield. And he started booking in 97. So like the scene is raging. You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. just all the bands are coming out. Like he used to go see Newfound Glory when there was like 75 people in the room. And he would book like Fall Out Boy at like the local park, you know, because they, they weren't mm-hmm. anybody yet. And so mm-hmm. he was there for the heyday. And then I came in about 2005, and uh, when I started, like, um, I remember a band I really loved called, was called Folly, that ska hardcore band. I don't know if anyone knows them here, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. So, so I came in, and I was an intern, and I was slowly working my way up. But then he took a big step back, and we lost a couple people on staff, and so it really kind of reset to just like, okay, we're doing local bands, and so um, the progression really was like, okay, you're booking these bands. You start getting these touring bands, you know, if you're good, if you're a good venue and you have good shows, like the word gets out. Um, and then eventually you get to a point to where some agents are hitting you up and they're offering you these bands. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely a progression of growth. Um, but there's definitely a huge change too, because when you're doing it at the local level and you're doing it like for your friends and your, your friends of friends, there's like more of a dynamic of like, Hey, we're all friends. Like make, let's make something awesome together. But then when you start working with agents, like there's this huge turn where it becomes, okay, there is a bottom line that we have to hit if we choose to do it. And, you know, there's a lot of stress on the promoter, on the venue. And what we did too is that we were we were always trying to make a safe place for kids to be on the weekend. Um, and I guess I'm kind of rambling, yep. but I'm going to keep going because I'll get to a point, which is like, yep. uh, you know, it ended up being a faith-based thing, which I never knew that we were a faith-based organization for a while. But his point, which I love to this day, which was like, we're not pushing like Christian things on people. We're just making a safe space for all these punk rock kids to be on the weekend where if you come in this venue and someone starts fighting, like no one's just going to let you get the crap beat out of you. And there's not going to be drinking inside. And there's going to be a place where all these kids can come. And there's probably gonna be a place where they could sleep through, you know, our network of people. So it was really just an awesome thing to be a part of. But because of that, we ran sound, we ran the venue. It wasn't like a traditional, most people who are promoters, they just come into a bar, a venue, and they say, hey, I have these bands. You have this venue. Let's link up. Let's make something happen. But what we did was everything, the whole logistic chain. We did the booking, promoting, the marketing, uh, the organization, all of it. And really, like when I got to college, like I remember just being like, you know, I've kind of learned everything you guys have to offer me just by booking these punk rock shows. So it was really <laughs> awesome to just kind of see it loop around to like when you're young, people are like, dude, why are you wasting your time doing those shows? I'm like, man, it's just amazing. And the the atmosphere that you get to create, like when I love when everyone is just like jumping the stage to sing the words to a song like that to me, like 
being the catalyst, not necessarily the front man or the person who's going to the venue, but just being that person that put all these things together for the puzzle, man, it's such an amazing feeling that I don't regret at all. Like I love it. I miss it. It was so fun. Definitely cool. A yeah. lot of stress, but um, yeah, we ended up just kind of getting bigger bands. And then I linked up with the promoter from down South and we ended up doing some bigger bands and then uh, a promoter from Jacksonville. I think I did one show with him, which was like terror and the story so far. So, and Is we did that Rory? in Vero. So did, yeah, it was Rory. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you um, go to any of those bigger shows that we did in Vero or did you already move at that time? I don't know. Uh, when was it? I, I know that I went to a Chiodos show there at the Heritage yeah. Center. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I booked that. Yeah, it was Chiodos oh, did you? and oh, okay. Memphis Mayfire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was fun, man. Like, it was just crazy to, like, bring these giant bands to that little town. And I love that we had that venue with, like, three or four foot stage. And then it had this awesome Florida mural on the back. Like, just yeah. all these little things, man, just make for uh, an awesome event. And then I would print rule signs because, you know, you want to make kids respectful of the rules, but you want to do it in a way that they will respect it. So I would just make quotes from Ron Swanson and post them all over the venue and be like, please do not open this door. Thank you. And then put Ron dude, Swanson Dude, I actually on the remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, kids are walking out with them. They're like, dude, I love this this rule. I'm taking yeah. it home. <laughs> yeah, well, because the Heritage yeah. Center was a venue that was used quite a bit at one point. And then they stopped allowing shows happen there because uh, people kept fucking up the venue. So other I, I think that was the first the one. Uh, yeah, other promoters probably. Yeah, yes. I think that was what the first ones um, that Heritage Center allowed in quite a while, right? The Chiodo show was not the Heritage Center. That was at the Polish American Club, which That's I love. That's right. I get the venues the mixed up sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, the Heritage so Center was the, amazing too. Yeah. So the Heritage Center, though, uh, did have other shows after like several years of no shows eventually. Yeah. Some some kids uh, – I wasn't there for that show, but some kids took a bunch of soap or something and there was a big fountain outside. And so it foamed mm-hmm. like everywhere. And uh, they were like, no, we can't do this anymore. But my friend Josh and I, we went down there, said, hey, we would love to do shows again. And and really, it's that's another trouble you have as a local promoter is you go out, you do the work, you find the venue. And yeah. then somebody else will say, oh, I'd like to book this venue now. And to kids who are going to shows, doesn't matter. It's all just a show. But to the people that own those venues, whether it's the Parks and Rec District or a local private owner, like they'll be like, they judge all shows the same once a window gets broken and like, dude, I'm not having any more shows. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's costly to them. So there was just like a lot of like things like that. That's part of what made me stop doing it, is that like, you know, I, was ha- I had two kids. I was done with college. I was like, I got into real estate and it'd be like, I'd book a show and then like a kid would not get off his shift from Domino's to like be the drummer. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. sorry, man. I can't make it. And like, like those little problems got so annoying. And then, Really just the scene like dried up, man. Like, you know, we used to have like 80 bands we could book for any show at any given time. And then it was like, mm-hmm. you have like four or five. And I really just think yeah. that like the progression of technology, everyone's on their phones. I remember the last show I booked, like these yeah. girls got on stage and were like trying to do selfies. And everyone was like, dude, get down, get down. You yeah. Suck. <laughs> wow. Dude, yeah. It's so, it's so fascinating to kind of look at that and compare compare it to like how we grew up, you know, cause we're all around the same age uh, and we all grew up around the same type of scene. It's fascinating to look at what we grew up with and then like fast forward, you know, 12 years or whatever in the, it's such a drastic difference, you know? And, and then it's also fascinating to see 
how it could be absolutely booming the scene. And then one day you wake up and everything's gone. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's just, it's, fuck it. it. It sucks, you know, but it's like, how do you progress at that point when the music scene is so volatile? You know, it's challenging. I like it's how you, I like how you really, you really, you pointed out social media and how much that takes away from the experience of a, of a live yes. show. And like, God, like yeah. one, it's at, at that time, like that music, those scenes, those genres were like not necessarily new, but the combination of all these sounds that you're getting. So it's like you could have a show that had Chiodos on it, terror on it, fucking through the eyes of the dead on it, whatever. You know what I mean? You could mix it up at that time. And that was like right before cell phones, iPhones were like so accessible to anyone and everyone, right? Like we were still handing out flyers. You know, you could book shows yeah. off of MySpace, which so was like many. the best way to do it, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And like, but then with the boom, and then you, you wanna you wanna take into consideration um people's um short, like short term just songs Attention got shorter. Spam. Attention yeah. span, couldn't think of that for some reason. Uh, attention <laughs> spans got shorter, songs got shorter, albums got shorter, and that started to change the music industry, like in general as a whole. And you know, then it got harder for bands to tour and then make money. And then, yeah, yeah. Um, technology was really a huge culprit in that. I feel like I remember. So, like a big thing we used to do was like if you had a band from like History of Monsters, I know you remember them. Um, like yep. I remember just doing CD release shows. And like we would do CD release shows, so it'd be like normally, um, let's say ten dollars for the show, but if you pay like three extra dollars, you get the CD. And then we would do a split with the band. We're like, oh, okay, I we're remember pay that. You. So we pay them like I don't know six or seven dollars per CD, and it was it was a good marketing device for them to get the album out. And then it was like just good for the scene overall. And then you get a physical copy CD. And man, dude, that was like amazing. Like I remember getting those CDs, and you know you would just listen to it through and through all the way. Yeah, and, uh, dude, yeah. And the last CD release I remember booking, like the guy was like, oh, I didn't get them printed. I was like, it's a CD mm -hmm. release show. But now it doesn't matter yeah. because Spotify, all that. But right. MySpace, and I heard you allude to this in another podcast I listened to you with, like was the jam, dude. You could just go in, you could type yeah. in reggae, top reggae bands of the time, Authority Zero, The Expendables, or Hardcore, you know, Terrors up there. And it was just like so easy, so direct. And I can't believe that we cannot replicate that. That was the best time right. to just find yeah. music, book music, put your little song on your profile. It was the best. Yep. Dude. Yeah. 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 Put yeah it on dude, your MySpace uh... bulletin, show tonight. <laughs> I think it was my uh, the interview with Chris fault. Murray. Tom's fault. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, man. But, but uh, it, it... dude. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, What was I going to say? Uh, I lost my train of thought anyway, so go ahead. Um, I'll remember right, it once well, uh, <laughs> I think I lost mine. But let's, like some of the old cool bands we used to smoke, like Seven Star. You know, some people listen to this and be like, oh, my God, Seven Star. I know. Do you remember Seven Star? Yeah, do. Yep. Oh, yeah, dude. Seven Star was the jam. And, like, you just cannot replicate, like, what we did in those little tiny grungy venues, man. Like, there's something to be said about, like, low ceilings and, like, a low stage. And, like, in the JCs, yeah. we had built boxes so you could have kids that are like you could just crowd it in and you'd have kids who are the same level or a little bit higher than the stage around you. And then you would have the pit 
So you could be on the top of the box. So you're away from the pit, but you're still close to the stage. And man, it's just amazing. I drive by it all the time now because down the street from my house and like, yeah. they completely gutted it. It's like a Boy Scouts place now. And it's like, Is I it just really? drive by there. I'm like, man, yeah, it's unrecognizable inside. It's crazy. Damn, it's all dude. tile. But it was just That's the rough. best. Like, I remember Dr. Acula, like someone's dragging the freaking oh, yeah. insulation down and yeah. out of the ceiling because they're old <laughs> ceiling tiles. Yeah. And man, amazing. Just amazing times. Thumbscrew, all these awesome bands that we got to be a part of. And what he was saying too, I like to mix uh, multi-genre shows because at the end, dude, everyone's coming for the freaking hardcore band where you could just slam somebody's face into and uh, mm-hmm. do what they wanted to do. But I would put in those indie bands and I'd mix it up because otherwise, right. man, at the end there was like, nobody was going to come to a strictly indie show. Like 2003 with mm-hmm. your little iPod shuffle, people would come to an indie show all day. But by like yeah. 2010, like it's hardcore or nothing bus for the most part. Um, yeah. And there were some really good bands that were still out there. And I just wanted them to get, you know, a good opportunity to play in front of people. Cause people will come, you know, like maybe they're not going to crowd in, but at least you're going to get, you know, 30, 40 people that are watching you. Um, I think transit was a band I booked towards the end. They had a really good following. They're pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Hell yeah. yeah. Give me some Hell more yeah. questions. I remember what, what I was going to say too. Okay. Uh, what I was going to say was we were caveat. I was going to caveat off of that CD thing. Uh, yeah. I feel like with the, you mentioned Spotify, which uh, the introduction of that, which is also a good reason. And I think the other reason is uh, CDs are just not as popular anymore. You know, um, it's funny because so I had a uh, 2012 Chevy Sonic uh, at one point um, and uh, I had a CD player in it and I would bless some CDs. I had like an actual book with all different CDs. Um, and this yeah. is recently. Um, and then the car took a shit. And then I got a, I went to the dealership, bought a new car. No CD player, you know, so it's yeah. like, you know, with the progression of availability, you know, for being able to listen to CDs, because, uh, you know, back in those days, like I would on my way to the show, I would be playing CDs of yeah. the bands playing, you know, yeah. so that way I can kind of just get hyped about it, you know, and that was yeah. like that was too, that was the fucking shit. You know what I mean? Yep. Can't really do that anymore. Chance, with what's that CDs. crowd chant for that song? Oh yeah, cool, got it. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but anyway, well, and that was uh, my old man uh, were, rants. Right, compilations were huge, hugely crucial to whatever upcoming festival. Like here, we had something called Robot Mosh Fest that a buddy of mine put on, um, and you know, this is with like. Um, you know, old like misery signals. Um, oh yeah. God, like you know, every time I die in like two thousand one and shit. Like they would, he would make these compilations, and that was that was promo leading up to these festivals. So then you knew what you were, you know, what you were getting into, which was, and they were just dope. Discovered so many good bands. You know, uh, Warp Tour did the same thing, pretty much. Yeah. Punk Same goes story, pop. But... I remember that was one. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you yeah. know, it, and then COVID happened and now it's like, I'm, I'm like half as social as I was before pre COVID. Yeah. So like, yeah. Eh. It's weird how but... social media changes the social construction. Yep. I've lived the last five years on a sailboat with my family and we just sailed to the keys and back and then work in the summer. And it's like COVID happened. Like literally the shutdown happened when, I tied to a dock back here in Melbourne, like coming from the Keys, and they're like, everything shut down. You can't work. I was like, perfect. Came back to work, and uh, now we can't make any money. 
hurt. <laughs> but Dang, like, dude. man, it's just, it was really weird to watch that, all that go down. And like, we were sailing and like Miami shut down as we were sailing by. And I was like, whoa, there's nothing going on. But like, wow. it definitely affected, like, I definitely see the scene. Like I went to a show recently. Um, my friends, Jillian Carter is still playing, rocking it. They're killing it. Uh, shout out to Logie Bear. And uh, basically, man, I, I noticed that people just don't want to get close to each other. Like, like they're there mm-hmm. and like, it's just a weird vibe, man. It's like, I remember like the amount of sweat you get in your mouth like as you're, <laughs> as you're at a local show and kids are like stage diving or yeah. just like pushing into you. Like, it was ridiculous, man. It was awesome. And I, that's I a movie. Um, God, what was it? Uh, they were playing basketball. And like the big hairy guy, like brushed up against, um, was it? Uh, is that like a Will Ferrell movie? Like, I don't feel like I remember yeah. it, but yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds, and yeah. he got like all this sweat and like, um, sweat and hair in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of going to local shows, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> when you're absolutely. when you're jumping up and down or whatever, and then just just like some random shirtless um guy, and you just happen to like get all his sweat on you too. Like, oh, dude, you know that just made me think like of and i think you just gave me an epiphany because i do jujitsu now and i noticed a lot of old school hardcore dudes do jujitsu now maybe yeah. they just miss that sweat in their mouth maybe that's what i think that's probably like... what it is yeah. <laughs> that that's is so something funny. you sign up for like it's gonna be mixed it's gonna be younger older male female sweaty not sweaty you, you're just gonna oh, get yeah. someone else yeah. but it's that same vibe like when this big dude is just on top of you you're just like right yeah. it's in my mouth yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same vibe so i never that's thought about that until just now yeah oh man so funny. um yeah so anyway so can you uh tell me what different types of uh negotiations were in place with um agents or bands uh, at least when you sure. were booking would love to man so like negotiation with an agent so there's different dynamics to this and this will be useful for anyone who's booking shows now, but like there's you reaching out to an agent cause you want a band. And then there's agents reaching out to you because you have a good venue and you never want to be in the position of, can I book my favorite band? Because mm. you're going to end up, if they even respond to you, first of all, which they probably will. <laughs> but if they did, you're going to get some kind of exorbitant amount that they would never charge a well-known promoter. And so you always want to be in the position of don't jump the gun and try to book bands. You want to be there to have an awesome venue, cultivate a culture, a scene where bands want to be at. You want to be, you know, the asset in the situation. But I would book, um, you'd have like a door split sometimes, man, which is the best way to go. uh, Unless you're sure this band is going to rock it. Like I remember, you know, let me think of one. Um, We would do a, a guarantee for like 500 bucks. And when you're doing like a $10 door, and you're only relying on the door because you're not a, a bar, dude, you were like passing those flyers out. Like you were saying earlier, you're like, man, mm-hmm. I need people to be here tonight or else this is going to be a lot of money. I have to pay out of pocket. And a couple times mm-hmm. I had to do that. Um, but you, you, you really, a standard negotiation looks, looks like this on a local show. Hey man, uh, $300 plus back end. And I remember the first time someone asked me for back end, I didn't even know what it was. Like I was asking my buddy, I was like, Hey man, what is, what does he mean by back end? And like, Oh, that means he wants, 85% you get 15, which looking back, dude, and if I did it again, um, I would never work with agents. I would only book a show. I would put on my website, like, if you want to book a show here, one of your band members needs to reach out to me. Otherwise, it's not going to happen because it mm-hmm. becomes such a capitalist economic thing, which 
I get like we want to progress towards money, but where you're at for especially for me is that like I was in junior development and you book these kids first sucky bands and they play first and that's fine. They break up, they make a little bit of a better band, or they really start to develop that sound and then they get bigger. Then they get an agent and then the agent treats you like you're just some guy when really you've been booking their band and investing in them for such a long time. And because we're in Melbourne, Vero, you're always losing to Orlando because they've got the radius clause mm-hmm. of 50 miles or whatever, and you cannot book a show. And every once in a while we get lucky, like let live. I think Disney wouldn't let him play there at the house of blues because he was so <laughs> known for climbing on top of stuff. And they're like, dude, we're not booking that yeah. band. So um, I think they're on tour with taking back Sunday. So we got like a one-off for them. And sometimes like if you get a band that's hyped like that, you just know, like, okay, whatever the guarantee is for the show, like, it's going to be fine. Like, it's just going to work out. But a lot of times agents will want to throw you bands that maybe their label said, hey, you need to take them on. And they're just throwing you filler crap. Like, no offense to those bands, but it's like they're wanting you to pay these egregious amounts. And then you're booking these bands that aren't going to draw. Nobody cares about them. Um, and maybe sometimes that agent will give you a promise of, hey, if you book this show, that sucks. I'll give you Shy Halud or during the heyday, not, you know, not later Shy Halud, but like early Shy Halud or something like that, seven star. And so you're just kind of always taking that bait, hoping that they're going to throw you a bone. And it just makes it so unfun, man. And I, what I learned later on, and this goes all the way up to like, you know, 2000 cap venue, because I also ran security for a local theater and we would book like Dave Chappelle's uh, big shows when he came back. But I just noticed that everybody lies to each other. Like, the merchandise people are lying. The promoters are lying. All these people, like everyone is just lying to each other. And I hated that part of it. Like I got up to where I was like hanging out with the people that book Katy Perry, you know, the people that book all these large entities. And I just didn't like what I saw. Like it was just so lame. Like everyone just is always lying to each other in this business and out for themselves. It was not fun. So if I did why, it again. Why do you think that is? Um, risk management and probably some greed mix in there, but it's really risk management. I mean, think about it from a, a promoter's perspective. Before, I think maybe it was Metallica that started back end or, or something involved with them, but like, you know, as a promoter, you take a lot of hits if you're just booking bands. So sometimes you're eating it for 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 1,000 bucks, depends on what caliper we're talking. But then you get a show that does really well, and then all of a sudden somebody wants back end, you know, which I kind of get, but then it's like 85, 15. But there's no real tangibles to the numbers. So people like promoters easy just start taking money on the side. Or like, you know, maybe they want merch counts and they want a percentage of the merch for selling at the venue. Well, then the merch guy is going to not count a couple t-shirts. You know what I mean? Like it's just so easy mm-hmm. for everyone to start lying to each other and looking out. So I would rather everyone just say like the promoter keeps this. We guarantee you this. Or we do a door split. I think a door split is probably the most fair way to do everything because then it's just, hey, we split it 50-50. You believe in your band. You believe that you're going to do well when you come here. You came to me with a $2,000 guarantee. I don't know mm-hmm. about that. So instead, I'd like to offer you a split. The show does well. Awesome. We'll both do fine. If it doesn't, well, there you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. But at the end of the day, like the promoter takes on a lot of risk and then also takes a lot of beef. Like when I have kids fighting, um, I could get sued for that. You know, like if a kid gets his tooth broken, I could get sued for that. Not you as the band. You're going to drive off and, and take a, and go down the street and go to your next venue. But I'm taking the heat for that. If a window gets broken on the venue, I'm taking the heat for that. And then there's just all these little logistics nobody ever thinks about. And I think a lot of people, at least in my scene, sometimes were like, oh, you know, those guys are just about money. But it's it's not just about money. It's about we need to be here tomorrow to make the next show. 
You know, mm-hmm. we're not here for just one day. We're here to make a long-term solution for you guys. And like people get mad that I would kick their friends out for fighting, but it's like, dude, I really hated crowd killing. I did not like mm-hmm. people just trying to hurt yeah. people for nothing. Like there's, you know, um, mutual combat in the pit where people mm-hmm. who want to slam dance and slam dance against others. I get that. But when you just go out and just want to hit people in the face, like, dude, you suck. Go yeah. away. And I remember right. one kid was like, I started booking big bands and he was like, let me come back to the shows. I was like, no, you didn't act nice when you when i was booking these bands why would i let you into these shows when you weren't acting nice then and he's like well i never knew you were going to book better shows i was like okay (laughs) (laughs) i I remember there being a uh an actual blacklist with within promoters for people who would do stuff like that like you know you would check ids or whatever coming in or whatever or you just recognize their face and it was like a list you know whoever's working the door that day like these are the lists of people that are not allowed to the venue because they have X amount of history with, you know, doing shows. Yeah. And- I guess you could call it a blacklist, but really for me, it was like three people, I think. And you know what was really funny is sometimes people would add themselves to the list to act cool. And they're like, yeah, dude, oh, that yeah. Kid, he said he can't come because he's banned. I was like, he's not banned. I think he just wants to act cool and say he's banned. <laughs> That's so, <laughs> you know, but um, <laughs> that definitely happened for sure. And so, yeah. like, it was just like really like in my scene at least just like three or four people i was like dude like every time you come there's a fight and there's a fight because you're the person who's always in the fight so if i get rid of you i won't have a fight it's that simple you know what i mean and it's like i want people to have a good time i want them to throw hands and and be in the pit you know but like i remember at that rotting out show dude someone did like a windmill and Mm -hmm. hit a kid in the side of the temple and dude this kid went stiff as a board full seizure eyes rolling in the back of his head blood coming out of his nose it was foaming at the mouth and so like i had been a lifeguard as well and man my security guy and i like we ran picked him up we had hired uh local sheriffs for that show put him out put him in rescue position and we had a paramedic come and they were so impressed with our response because i know i've seen other shows where like promoters get themselves over their head they don't know what to do and that they're they're just not like i don't know he's he's writhing on the floor i'm like no dude like we have to solve this but yeah. like that was mutual. Like he was in the pit. It's an accident. It happened. And, and there's no bad blood there. But if you just go out and you're just kicking people in the face because you think it's funny, like you suck, man. Go away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of people do that not realizing the repercussions behind it. They do it because they either one think it's cool or they enjoy, you know, hitting people. You know, yeah, it's both. and yeah. neither of those, uh, uh, both of those are a recipe for disaster. I mean, and not just like you said, you know, as a promoter, there's liability there. You know, if you were to, um, you know, crowd kill somebody and accidentally hit somebody in the face and knock them out or whatever, you're also liable for being sued for that reason, you know? Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, so I used to work with Warped Tour quite a bit and one particular year, this was back when they allowed moshing still, um, there was an uh, actual like medical uh, tent or medical facility that everybody who would get hurt would go over yeah. there. And I can't tell you how many times that uh, they were having the, the medics ride around their golf carts going back and forth between different stages and picking people up. Um, wow. And, you know, a few times I would have to help people get into the, uh, into their, under the golf cart so they can bring them over there. I mean, heat exhaustion was, was one thing, but it was mainly. Oh yeah, from, for sure. Um, <laughs> crowd killing orlando everyone's red and flush (laughs) yep exactly i saw one kid who was holding his eyeball in his in his hand yeah because he got hit in the head so hard it popped out i've heard that again some of those things yeah some of those things are accidents i understand that 
But if you're intentionally trying to do that, it's not a good thing. It's, yeah. And and if you're on the other end too, if you're if you're a band, you know, and you're promoting that kind of thing, that nobody's going to want to work with you. I mean, you might yeah. be cool within your local community because you know you instigate violence and you're like sticking it to the man or whatever the fuck, you know. But at yeah. the end of the day, like you have to treat it like a business. And you want to be able to be back. You want people to come to your business. You know, you want people yeah. to be like, hey, come to my venue and play a show. But if you're doing all this fucking, you know, instigation of crowd killing, nobody's going to want to work with you. It's like a balance, though, you know, man, because like it's like the old Limp Biscuit, you know, freaking Woodstock yeah. 99 similar. But like he's just like, break it, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I feel right. like you as a promoter should be responsible enough to know the content of what you booked. So like if you book yes, like kids like true. us or Casey Jones, you remember those bands? Like, dude, when yeah. you book Casey Jones, like it's gonna get crazy. But for me, I like the crazy. I'm fine with the crazy. But everyone needs to be cool about it. You know what I mean? Like, someone falls down, pick them up. Like, you know. Yeah. And that's there was like a, a there was like an error of that where people were just respectful and like they knew it was fun. They knew they were gonna have fun, but you would pick each other up. And then later, right. like at the end there, dude, it was just like, no, I'm just here to like literally hurt people. And that was just not fun. But I don't think you necessarily need to just treat it like a business. Like I get what you're saying for sure, especially from like a liability standpoint. But like I want – I'm so sad that they don't allow moshing. You know, like as a teenager yeah, and you're just like, I don't true. have a dad. Punch, punch, punch. Like, you know, like yeah. you got to get your little <laughs> emotions out, man, and that's fine. Right, right. And uh, that's what we were there for is like, hey, we're going to book this rec center. You can be crazy. You just don't break a window. And if your friend gets hurt, yeah. pick them up. Like it's it's so simple. Like just be cool. Like be cool. It's, and if you suck, go away. Like that traditional African, go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it totally became like a norm for like hardcore bands and like that scene is like like you would literally hear, hear dudes like, well, don't stand at the at the edge of the pit. Don't, you know, don't go to hardcore shows. It's like, hey, how about Let's not abuse like violence and the ability to do so when people are just trying to have a good time, like crazy. Yeah. And and yeah. hearing you talk about even having a sheriff there or even anyone with any medical experience is unheard of unless it's a festival. Like mm-hmm. like the the rave, I don't even think the rave like they have their security guard, like but a lot of venues they just have these security guards that are like hired guns for, for yeah whatever you know a saturday they're not like a medical like a, a, a team ready to go which when this is happening definitely should be a necessity because like what you were just saying yeah. that could have been whew. yeah i have yeah. worked at venues and i won't say any names in particular were uh medical attention was more so of a reactive versus a proactive yeah yeah Exactly. And that's the thing too, is like, like he said about hiring security, like if you hire club, club security and punk rock show security are two different, you know, monsters because the club security guys, they're used to some guy getting drunk and acting out and they just put them in headlock and drag them out. Whereas Mm -hmm. like when we have punk rock shows, I have to like train these guys. I had two really good guys like Chaz. Everyone knows Chaz in the scene here. Um, But like you just, you just know when you're starting to see nonsense and you're proactive on it. And, uh, you know, we don't care that they're pinning. We don't care that they're hitting each other. We care when we see this one guy running across to the same people and, like, finding the smallest person and elbowing them in the head. But it's like you definitely, like, have to balance out your security versus your crowd. Like, what's a lo- what is a lot of violence that we allow here? You know what I mean? Like, it's like mm-hmm. we're, we want them to have fun. 
which is the only one to get hurt. Even yeah. right now, a hardcore show, you got if you have your club security guard at the hardcore show who's like, oh, I'm used to just putting dudes in headlock. He does that. Well, guess what? His buddy is coming after you, and now you got security getting whooped from a mob of kids because you touched, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I've yeah, seen it. That's I've seen before. it. <laughs> or it can go the other way where now club security is looking at all these puny little tattoo kids and they just beat the crap out of them. I remember there was yeah. like one security guy they sent out because the two, two different crews are like going at it. And this one security guy dude just whoosh, tore them all apart. Just Jesus. didn't matter. Didn't matter at all. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we get back yeah, into dude. the questions now. This is, I love these conversations. Fine. I feel like I can let out my inner old man. Um, <laughs> stop saying you're old you're not old yet <laughs> yeah I know right um, so there's a couple questions um, that I had out of the, the last statement that you were talking about in terms of um, how a deal looks with uh, with an agent um, the back end you mentioned uh, 8515 is that something that can be negotiated differently uh, have you seen that where it's like uh, an 8020 or 7030 or is that sure? More, it could be is negotiated. Eighty-five fifteen is very standard. Um, the higher up you go, that's the more standard that is. That doesn't get that negotiable, um, but it is negotiable. It it really all depends, right? Because okay, so if you want to talk from the business metrics of it, um, is this band valuable to us? Like, let's say let's take a bit. Let's take Let Live. Like, we know what mm-hmm. Let Live can do, will do. We know what their show is going to be like. We know everyone knows the words, so we know if we book Let Live. We know that we're going to break even. We know that we're going to get covered and we can handle the 85-15. But if you're taking a risk on a band where you're like, you know, and again, it's all on you. And like, as you get older, you start to like ask some of the kids like, hey, do you know this band? And, um, you know, it's like you, if nobody really knows this band, you're like, ah, I've kind of heard of them. Now, you know, okay, this band doesn't have the value, the intrinsic value that this agent is presenting to us. So then I will get very negotiative and say, I'm going for a door split if I want it at all. Um, and also what day of the week is it, you know, like, because we really made the goal to be Fridays and Saturdays, that's hot ticket deals for agents all day long. And they want the best deal for their bands and rightfully so from an agent perspective, they, their goal is to make money for them and for themselves. So it's like, they're going for that. But, um, a deal could always be negotiated. And I remember this in life. I do real estate agent stuff now and, um, everything is always negotiable always and to hmm. that like uh yeah everything is always negotiable i will tell you one time i had an agent lie to his band change the paperwork and put that i guarantee them way more money than i had and i was already friends with that band i had a relationship with them and yeah. they had another band on with them and at the end of the night i was like hey guys have a good night and this guy just started getting yelling at me he's like you know it's nice when people actually pay what they say they pay i was like what and he's yeah. like yeah you said you're gonna pay like i don't know 300 bucks i was like no, I didn't say that. And I had to yeah. go through my emails while this whole heat of conversation is going on and find the paperwork and show this guy like, hey, no, this did not happen. So, yeah. you know, how unprofessional is that as an agent to be? Right, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Yeah, man. It gets weird down there, you know, when you're at the junior level buying it. I would, it's like amateur yeah. to junior level is what I was involved in. And then later on, um, I would say the biggest thing I got involved with was uh, Modest Yahoo. I used to work at the SGA at the local college and they were going to give us funding to do production. Cause I came in and I was like, I found it like $7 from every person's admission goes in towards activity fund at the college. And I was like, well then why do all these activities suck? Let's do something amazing. Yeah. 
And right. I came in with my concert experience. I was like, all right, let's make something happen. We were looking at like different options, different bands, but because we had to think of an overall demographic, we were like, okay, modest Yahoo, that'll be awesome. And um, I remember negotiating that, man. It was like, it's just funny how people get like, these promoters are like, why don't you let us assume the risk? And, you know, you just kind of take a back step to it. I was like, um, why would you want me to take less risk and you assume it unless you thought it was going to be profitable? And I remember these guys are like professionals at the business just being quiet for yeah. like 30 yeah. seconds because they're like, who's this guy? Why is he talking to us like that? Yeah. Um, but it's like, even then, man, when you do college events, like those agents know they hear college dollars, bang, that thing's going up 300%, 200%. Yeah. And they're just going to try to make that money, which I get. Um, but that was the biggest thing I ever negotiated and we got so close but we had four campuses and one of those campuses dropped out on their portion of the funding but that was going to cover the entire expense of the show and i was like let's make this happen i was talking to the venue and i was like we can still make this happen they're like nope want nothing to do with it. i was like man come on wouldn't do it and then here's the kicker a couple years later they booked modest yahoo with no funding at all and went for the show really? I was like, look at that yeah wow. you get these little battles man when you're booking bands yeah. it's like you have to calm yourself because sometimes you'll get an offer in your email and it's like, I don't know, something amazing. But then you yeah. find out maybe they're just trying to get you as a negotiation tactic to get a better deal from the guy they really want. And they want to have mm-hmm. numbers to throw at them and say, hey, he'll pay $2,000. Will you pay me 2500 Whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Give me some more questions. What else you got? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when working with a venue, uh, for so I know for with you guys, you had basically taken over the venue. Um, but yeah. for somebody who is kind of getting into promoting, that may not be an option for them. Um, what are some of the, the things that they should be knowing ahead of time when working with a venue um, to be able to get a, a show booked? First of all, the first thing I would say to you is do not agree to anything you cannot afford. Um, sometimes people will be trying to take that risk and say, oh, the show will pay for it. If you don't have that money in your bank right now from working whatever job you have or grandpa out front of you, whoever, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't have that money, don't do it. Um, if you are going to go to a venue and you're going to book a show, you want to know, what am I getting at this venue for the price I'm getting for? Am I getting sounds? Am I getting a sound guy? Am I getting security? Am I not getting security? Will there be a door person? Can I have my own door person? Because you don't know what their door person is going to do. You know, maybe they're a door person, like let's say Will's pub in Orlando, they have their own door people. They're not messing around. They're going to do their job. But I always want my own door person because I know my own door person I trust. So you want to know these things when you're going to a venue, like all the logistics you can think of. Um, You want to know, okay, where is the gear going to go? Where can I put this gear? Is this gear allowed to be here? I don't know. Does that answer your question? Like as far as like what they want to know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. What about the costs associated with it too? I mean, like what is the average of what you've seen based on? I mean, I know it's changed over the time. For sure. A little bit. I, I always made this joke that like the only thing that's not affected by in- inflation is punk rock shows. Cause like forever, <laughs> if the show wasn't $5, people would bitch. They'd be like, dude, man, this show should be $5, bro. I'm like, well, yeah. gas is $4 a gallon, bro. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. these bands got to get where they're going. Um, so it depends on the venue. So if you're booking a bar, uh, they have revenue. They're going to make money off people just coming in and buying drinks. So you're going to expect to pay less. You should pay less most of the time for that venue because you're creating a clientele that's going to come in and buy from their bar. So they should be giving you a very decent deal. Um, However, if you're going to go, let's say you need a bigger venue or let's say you want to do a rec center, a rec center, 
you could get a deal. I mean, rec center is always going to be affordable, but you can always negotiate. Like I remember one venue in Vero, I won't mention it, but they gave me a, a price of like $2,000 for the rental. Hmm. And I said, dude, that is like way more than I can afford, but I'm going to bring hundreds of people here and they will buy snacks and drinks from you because it's a dry bar. And so, um, you know, I was like, that will happen. And I negotiated that price to less than half. So hmm. don't be, you know, don't look at the sticker price and say, I can't afford it. Look at the sticker price and say, okay, venue owner, here's what I can do for you. But also it's your reputation. So don't overpromise. Don't say there'll be hundreds of people here and you got <laughs> 30. Cause guess what? They're yeah. never going to give you that deal again. And yeah. you're going to be remembered for being that guy. So you don't mm-hmm. want to be that guy. Um, so, you know, have integrity. That's the biggest thing I can say is like having integrity in everything you do in the shows, because when your name gets blasted for whatever you did, stealing money or not delivering on your promises, do that name will go out and bands talk from agents talk. Everybody talks. Don't ever think it doesn't. I remember one band uh, that I did sound for at the college. Um, I remember this guy, my girlfriend liked the band. And I said, Hey, I'll get a CD for you. Cause I'm like, I'm going to go and talk to him and get a CD. So I go over, talk to the guy. I said, Oh man, send her over this guy takes my wife's phone and puts his number in it. <laughs> I mean, she was my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. yeah. And she came back and she's like, dude, he put his number on the phone. I was like, that's what he did. It's like, all right. Yeah. And I like kind of blasted that dude on social media. And then I lost a, a gig because of that. Like I was doing sound for all the bands. So like, well, you know, I saw you kind of blasted him. So I didn't want you to like work with that man again. So it's like, even though I was right in that moment, yeah. I lost money because of it. So it's like, you need to know, you know, who you're dealing with and, and from try not to burn any bridges Sometimes the bridge needs to get burnt. It is what it is, but but be integri- have integrity when you do it. Like be like transparent about the situation. Um, if you're not transparent, it just looks shady because they're going to say whatever they want about you. So mm-hmm. you need to just be completely transparent as you can. Should a situation well, they're going to say whatever they want about you anyway. You might as well be exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I remember a big thing for me too is that like kids would be like, "This venue sucks, dude." I'm like, "That's good." Yeah. You know, the best thing you can do is go make your own venue, take your own yeah. risks. Put your own money up. See what happens. I hope it works for you. you know yeah. I mean? yeah. <laughs> and then I'll come book shows at your venue. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. That would, that would happen all the time, man. And I would tell people, like, look, we're going to start doing these things here. Other people are going to come to you and want to do the same thing. All I ask is that if they want to do something that sounds the same, you come to me first and let me work with them or whatever. Because mm-hmm. I'm developing this relationship and you're just an idiot and you're going to let nothing happen. You're going to let windows get broken. Like I would put so much work into making sure that I would put tables in front of the windows. If it was like a a rec center, Mm -hmm. I would tell Mm -hmm. all the kids on the mic at the end of the night, make sure you pick up at least one piece of trash before you leave. And we would not leave until we had mopped and picked up all the trash in the place. Whereas I've seen other promoters just leave it wrecked and say, Oh man, that's what the custodians get paid for. You know what? Those custodians, they hate you, man. Even the custodians affect your relationship in the entire thing. So it's exactly. like if you're a new promoter, which props to you if you're coming in at this day and age and trying to promote shows, <laughs> that's yeah, a challenging yeah, thing absolutely. to do now. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. But if you're doing it, man, your relationships are everything. And uh, I think one thing that I would probably say I, I somewhat regret is um, not becoming a manager to some of the bands that I saw get developed. Like uh, there's bands I booked that like um, – uh, you know, Body Snatcher, they're pretty big right now. Yeah. Um, I'm not yep. saying I want to be their manager, but like I remember the first time I heard their singer, Little Kyle, man, just freaking come up to the stage and like grab the mic from the singer. And I heard him scream. I was like, ooh, he's got something, dude. 
he's yeah. he's gonna be something and now they're like freaking doing 700 plus people man and props yeah. to them so happy for them to come out of our area and be that's a new amazing yeah. yeah yeah dude i i mean i remember when they were kind of getting out there too you know they were uh booking a lot of different shows and uh jb um from uh lights out um would book them yeah. quite a bit yeah and he because he ended up developing a pretty good friendship with them um and uh yeah so like you said now they're at like 700 plus you know antennas which is amazing you know selling yeah, out clubs and shit what uh um, what bands you got could we talk about is there any bands you reminisce on like from the scene that you remember i'll get into more of your questions we could take as long as we need to yeah i'm just curious um dude honestly so like uh as the sky awaits history monsters Still at heart. Um, all those Still at heart. guys. Wow, that's funny, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. And um, then um, my fair Verona, like uh, they, I, I never, unfortunately, ever went to a show, but like I kept hearing uh, songs from them, and I end up being. I have their T-shirt, Ricky. Do you really? Yeah, I got a. It's a yellow shirt with like a. I think a woman with like got her head on it, and okay. yeah, I, I, they're one of the first bands I ever saw. Yeah. So Ricky um, um, was there was was actually ended up joining a, a band that I was forming at the time, and then he ended up moving back up to PA, um, the Pennsylvania. But uh, but yeah, so I mean I remember like the transition to Versa emerge, yep, and then the transition of Versa, <laughs> um, and now it doesn't seem like they're doing much anymore. Uh, it's just Sierra and Blake now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh or now it's just now blake's doing his own thing i I don't know but anyway yeah so some of those are some of the bands that i remember the most um do you remember like called reserve or like any of the straight edge bands that used to be around here yeah i do yeah yep i yeah um yeah yeah, those ones were just the ones that i would go to the shows the most of you know um and my cousin um brandon quintero i don't know if you know him at all um but he was really big into the scene um he started going to shows um around the era of um my pair of verona which is like the 2005 2006 time yep yep and, that uh, was the time i got in man it was all new to yeah. me <laughs> yeah dude so he's the yeah. one that got me into it um and uh yeah he eventually stopped going to shows around 2010 because he joined the military or something i don't know that that time frame is a little fuzzy for me but <laughs> But yeah, those are some of the bands that I remember. Um, I feel like 2007 was when there was like a decline. It was like 2003 to 2007 was like, yeah, we're all here for it. There's a good show every weekend and there's a village because everybody cares about each other. And then it just kind of changed. Like Milwaukee was like a crossroad for Minneapolis, uh, Chicago bands coming out of Detroit. So like Fallout Boy, you know, was friends with uh with like hardcore bands. So you'd have Fallout Boy and then you'd have like Defense or uh you know, Terror or whatever. But like Misery Signals was huge, you know, um still is. Like after the burial, like Milwaukee was like a hot spot and there was a banger mm-hmm. every weekend. Um but yeah, it was just different, man. It it takes a village um, and, and it just seems like that was also a huge part of it too. You know, people just stop caring and, you know, it's like promoters get tired or like my biggest pet peeve was promoters not showing up at the show. 
or like not even being there, which I can't tell you how many times that is the thing is like, oh, they're not even here. Cool. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Yep. <laughs> Where's yep. the PA? Yep. Okay. Well, now, <laughs> now Billy's going to pick up his, you know, one speaker that he has in his basement that still works. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. And yeah. And we were so organized like that, dude, that I would go to other shows and it would stress me out. Like I remember um what's that ska band that was really big? There was like a super punk rock ska band. Oh man, I'm forgetting their name. They were super um Man, it's like Bomb the Music Industry. That's what it is. Bomb the Music okay. Industry. Okay. I don't know if you know. Yeah. But I remember going to their show, dude, and like the sound guy there was doing such a bad job. Yeah. And I like walked over because they're, I think the mic was like shocking him or something. And I just, I was like in Orlando and I just started running the board and I took off the phantom power and everything got better. And the guy was like, okay, man, well, you run this now, okay? I was like, all right, man. <laughs> see you later. Yeah. Like I paid to come to the show. I was just hanging out. And I was like, you know, sure, man, I'll run sound now. Right. <laughs> I'm not a great sound guy by any means, but it's like, just care a little bit. That's what you need to do. Or like what made me <laughs> crazy sure. was going to local shows and nobody's like keeping the pace of the changeovers, like the setup. Yeah. Like we used to be like, okay. I mean, I was probably too crazy, but like, that's the way I was trained to do it. Like I would talk to two drummers before they were about to go on. We booked like five, seven band shows. And I was like, drummers, make sure your symbols are on, make sure your stuff's over there. You know, this from war tour. I guarantee it. Yep. But it's like, yep. just make sure your shit's ready because otherwise yeah. They will go so slow. They'll be taking symbols off on stage, on screen. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. They come off the stage, put the new set on. We backline yeah. our cabs. You know what I mean? Like we, all these little things make such a difference. And from a business perspective, to answer some of your question, like you have to think about your labor costs. Like if you allow these changeovers to take, we used to be ten minutes on, twenty minutes set, ten minutes off. Like it, so, you had thirty minutes all together. And, and we used to tell bands like, if you can get faster in ten minutes. You can have that time to do an extra song. We don't care. But we were very, mm. very strict about it because you want that show to go from like 7 to 10. If you go too late, like because also we're dealing with like a lot of minors, like they're going to have to get picked up. And then the the headliner is going to, you know, go on at 12. You don't want that to happen. And then if you're paying your people, your labor staffing costs are going up exponentially because of it. I remember the guy that taught me one day, he paid me like all in dollar bills and he like, charged me the amount of the extra time I went over because I was slacking. And he's like, this is not to be mean to you. This is just to show you, like, this is what it costs you. And and it was a great lesson, man. Like, it was it was yeah. super good because I was like, oh, I get it. You're right. You got I, the but kid I was also two, You got the kid with two bass drums and, like, a whole rack, and he played, like, four of his drums, and you're like, dude. Yeah. yeah. Get it off <laughs> Do you need all that? Yep. Yeah. Or they're like tuning like forever. And I'm like, dude, tune your guitar before you get on. Like just freaking right. put it on me and tune. Let's go. You know, like you have to be, you know, in my opinion, when you're doing a show like that, you have to be on them all the time. And it's not to say yeah. that people are lazy or anything. It's just that your goals and their goals are different. Their goal is to play the best show. Or maybe it's not. Maybe they don't care and they're just drunk and they're just like, whatever, mm-hmm. man. You made me be here because there's no bass guitarist around in the area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? When you get up on yeah. the stage, you should be verifying your tuning, not tuning. You know, yes. if you've got different songs with different um, drop tunings, um, invest into another guitar, you know, or, you know, two or three. You know, yeah. I know it's expensive. I can get it. It can get expensive. But, it, you know, at the same token, it's like this is about investing into your professionalism, you know. Uh, and making sure that you're on time with everything, you know, and on that note, you know, what are some of the other things that you 
think bands should be doing more of and less of uh, when working with promoters or venues? Um, bands should work on remembering that like everybody's here for the purpose of we want to make awesome shows, you know, for the most part, like that is what everyone is here for. Like there's not a lot of money into these bands until you get like really big. So it's like everyone who's doing this is doing this because they love it. So like as a band, if I was a band, I'd say, Hey, uh, let's find the promoter when we get here. Let's make sure we're in text contact saying, Hey, we are, I know load into five, but um, RETA says we're going to be there about five 30. So I just want to give you a heads up on it, making sure you're constantly in communication. This goes on really all parties, but as long as you keep constant communication it is the biggest thing, the biggest help. So at least I know what to expect, you know, from the situation. Um, and just asking those people when you get to those venues, hey, if you have the time, like let's say you're the headlining band, you've got four hours till you have to go on. You can go out there and you can start to make relationships with the venue owners, the promoters. You can make relationships with the kids in the scene. And I know sometimes you're too cool for school and you have the reputation, but really you should just be like, I remember Under Oath waited with the guy that I learned shows from. He had a busted tire and they waited like three hours for him to get situated. Cause it's like 2003 before, wow. you know, like, yeah, they just waited there for him. So yeah. that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, the way till he's like, this band waited <laughs> three hours and that band was under oath. <laughs> yeah. So it's like having that reputation, man, like these guys are going to work extra hard for you. Like I know my friend worked extra hard for, you know, Dallas and the boys when they came back, like he would make sure that they had what they needed. And, you know, as a band to continue, like making sure you have those relationships, help and pick up trash, like just show that you're somebody that gives a shit about the whole thing. And mm-hmm. that goes a long way, dude. Like people will remember you forever. If you show up, say, hey, where's my money? Where's my drink tickets? Where's my merch bands? Like, OK, see you later. Don't talk to anybody. Get, get up, play your show. Um, you know, I would also say be respectful of like, uh, you know, if you're a headlining band, it's not going to matter. We're going to let you play what you want to play. But, like, if you're a supporting band, if they say you got 20 minutes, dude, like, don't be like, oh, okay, we're going to play for 35. You will you mm-hmm. will have problems. Yeah. <laughs> People will exactly. remember you and say, screw that band. Like, they don't listen to me. It, seem, it's, so. it seems like the best approach, mental approach to this is if you're getting paid, treat them as your employer, you know, yeah. and give them the same respect, you know, because at yeah. the end of the day, they're the one that's feeding – your family this is the one they're the ones that are able to uh you know pay for the the things you enjoy doing you know like playing music you know and this is a team thing like this is you want to be you want to stay on the road you know you want to be able to work with these people you know and like you said you know and this is something that i've always told any of the bands that i manage i mean mario can attest to this you know that uh make sure you are treating people with respect pick like you said pick um trash up you know um when you see it you know Work with the promoter, let them know that you're here for them whenever if they need anything. You know, it's just there's so much that that you could do to to help out that, you know, will kind of yeah. make you stand out in front of everybody else, you know. Sure. Maybe the sound guy's struggling. Maybe help the sound guy, but hey man, here, let's yeah. try to mix this channel. There's just so many number of little things you can do to show that you care and just make sure you do them, you know, like just go out there and just show you care. Um for Absolutely. sure. Their relationships are everything. If you want it to go anywhere with anyone, your relationships are everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And that ties in don't tear up the venue too. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm a big believer too, like, cause I've lived on a sailboat with my family and like not worked conventionally, I've done the shows. And, and the funny thing is like, you make those relationships, guess what? Later on when I was selling real estate, 
some of the kids that went to my shows ended up buying a house for me. Like, you know, and that was yeah. amazing because I remember people always telling me, you're wasting your time doing these shows. Like, why are you not taking a job and doing this? Why are you still doing these shows? I'm like, dude, I just love it. Like, that's what I love to do. And it's like, it continued to grow for me even past when you expected it to. So it's like, I always tell people, young people, listen, do what you love. It doesn't matter about the money. Like the money will come or it won't maybe, mm-hmm. but you're still going to have those experiences. And uh, like for me, and this is not like show related, but like uh, I had this like little condo in the hood and then we got on our boat and figured our boat stuff out, went to the keys, came back and I ended up buying a condo in the same neighborhood. And I just remember like coming back and looking and saying, wow, how crazy it would be if my eyes never saw what I saw. And like, I didn't make it to as far as I wanted to go with the boat, but I went down, I saw beautiful water. I've got all these photos and it's the same with your band. Like, even if you don't make a ton of money, dude, like save enough money to, for your tour to be self-sufficient and you're going to go and you're going to have so much fun. Even if you're sleeping mm-hmm. in a freaking grungy basement and, and you're just mm-hmm. really doing the struggle, like those struggles, those hard times, you're going to look back and they're going to be some of the best times of your life. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think it's important Absolutely. for those guys that are starting out to remember like, oh, just because you booked, just because you went through the work and the motions of making a tour, it doesn't mean it's going to go perfectly. doesn't mean it's going to go good. <laughs> You might show up right. and the promoter's not there. You might show up and they're like, what show? What are you talking about? The promoter, yeah. never the show. I know that's happening yeah, yeah. for sure. Mario probably could right, attest right. to that. But, um, well, and you really gotta, you really gotta earn your stripes because even if this, like, let's say this show, you know, there's 10 people there. It's like, well, if you guys did your thing and you built a great relationship with this dude, or then you met this guy, like it always leads to something else. So it's, never waste the time you can never underestimate or undermine where you are who you're playing in front of whatever opportunities are like do it the best you can each time you know the rent is due every day because you will learn down the road that like someone will have your back when you need it if you have theirs yep yep that's Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that's more than like any written contract can do for you man like you know like when they get very when it gets very businessy it's it, it can happen but like just knowing like, okay, I know Mario and Mario has my back. Or if I say like, you know, we used to use this example all the time, like a band sometimes would lie and be like, oh, you know, because if you have multiple people in the organization, they'd be like, well, Mario guaranteed me $200. And I, and I know because I know Mario so well, I can say, dude, you're freaking lying because Mario would never promise you that. You know, like just having his back and just knowing that relationship and that trust is everything, man. Like yeah. it's a big mm-hmm. deal. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. vice versa. I know Mario guarantee you 200 bucks because I know Mario and that's something he would do. It goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll ask one more question and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up for, for this one. Um, this is something that has been in the social media quite a lot lately. Um, and I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, merch cuts. What is your perspective on it? And why would, why do you think venues would, would do that? Easy because you said, "Oh, I owe you back in, so now you owe me a merch cut." It's it's like getting that fifteen percent right back in a way, you know. And uh, I worked mm-hmm. at a theater, so I've handled like thousands of dollars of merch cut. I've done a few things when uh, within events, like I've done meet and greet companies. But stick with your question, and not ramble off. Um, yeah, I think that they want merch cuts because they're trying to make as much revenue as they can. And I remember working with a guy, and he had me count in all the merch for like four bands, and I said, "Dude." This is stupid and I hate this. <laughs> like, this is, and everyone, it's yeah. just to ensure that everyone's not lying to each other, which 
it's still so easy to lie to each other. So if I did it again, again, I would do no agents, no merch cuts. Here's your guarantee or here's your door split. Like just take it back yeah. to simplistics, man. There's no reason to do all these extra things that create complications. Like if you're a good band, you show up, it's going to happen. It's like, I don't know. Are they going to ask for a drink cut? Are they going to ask for a percentage of the bar? Probably not. You know, like I think merch cuts should just go like let the band sell their merch. And that's something that I would offer to bands on the junior level. I'd say, listen, we can't guarantee you that much money because of what we are in this kind of organization. We have all these extra variables compared to a normal promoter that just books at a bar for 50 bucks. Um, I would say, but you're going to sell probably a lot of merch because not only are people coming, there's a hundred people coming for your band. They're not people who just hang out at the bar. Like these people are coming and they're coming for mm-hmm. the bands. So you have a, mer- we'll have tables. You can set up your merch there. So if you believe in yourself and you believe in your merch, like, come on, let's do it. You know, I think that, you know, it's like being a capitalist, but like, if you trust in, if you trust in yourself, you'll do well. And I don't know you that well. So keep your merch over there. I'll keep this over here. No problem. Just, it just makes it so much simpler. And I'm, I'm so much about simplicity in the game because it (laughs) can get so. No one's making any money, man. Like, let us have this one thing. Like, are you kidding me? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And from the promoter perspective, too, you know, other people don't think about this, but like at the end of the day, no one's like, dude, that promoter rocked last night. No, they think the band <laughs> rocked. Like, the promoter <laughs> takes all the crap. So, like, at least they can make a little money. And also, like, for me, it was just like getting to be that catalyst between the band and the venue and all these kids. Like, it was so cool when you just see like a show going off and everybody knows the words. It was amazing. Yeah. It was so cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but to stick with what you said, yeah, like merch cuts, they're dumb. Keep them. Keep your merch. I don't care. Let me keep this. I don't want to get back in or whatever it is. Like whatever the deal is, right? You know, like let's just yeah. make it simpler. So, that so the, the back end part, that's just yeah, that's just the way to yeah. kind of recoup any back end that it wasn't made through door. Uh, I, w- I mean, I would say so. It's so just like, like a, it's like a counter. Like, oh, you're gonna take back end. I'm yeah. gonna take a merch cut. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm. it's like that. I see, yeah. I see. But these have been going on for way past our time, dude. This has been going on for sure, about sure. probably 34 yeah. years. I think back end probably started somewhere in the 70s or 80s. Um, and I could be okay. wrong about that, but I think that's when it started. I used to get super involved in like learning all this. And it's yeah. not like standard textbook stuff unless you go to full sale and pay a stupid amount of money for doing something yeah. you don't need to go to full sale for. <laughs> 70s Whoops. and 80s is probably like, all right, well, I need a cut. So <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, man, it's like, like all those pioneers. Is, yeah. So, so uh, in terms of stopping the uh, the merch cut thing, I feel like part of it too is the negotiations between the agent and the uh, and the promoter or the or the uh, venue because everybody always talks about oh this venue is taking a merch cut after the show has already been booked, which is like fine, you know, blast if you feel like you. you I mean we have the ability to talk about things on social media that is upsets us. We have that right, you know, and I disagree with merch cuts generally too, but at the same token, it's like, well, part of that was, was negotiated beforehand. You know, a lot of people don't notice, don't realize that, you know, that was negotiated. That was approved upon by a contract between the agent and the promoter or the agent and the venue. So really we should be looking at, okay, not only is it, a responsible thing for the venue to stop taking merch cuts, but let's stop normalizing merch cuts on the, on the uh, agents per, um, side as well, because that oh, yeah. is another I, way for them to get their back end. Yeah. The contracts get pretty standard, man. I remember working with the agency and working with a few other ones, but like a lot of their contracts are very similar. They're very, it's, 
it, it's become the standard of the industry. So if you yeah. want to stop merch cuts, you have to start between the promoter and and the agent. But it, it's going to take a yeah. larger communication network for all of that yes. to change because these agents have been doing it for 10, 15 years, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the promoters, most of those promoters have been doing it for a while. You know, you start to see a rotation, I think, in the game because when I was in there, like all the all the agents that I knew have been doing it for 15, 20 years. They have all the band, like they just have a standard way of doing it. And then you have to react yeah. to their standard. So it would take a larger network of people to say, hey, we're not going to do merch cuts, but you're also not going to do this thing that I don't like. It doesn't have to be back in. It could be whatever. But it really just right. takes a larger congregation of people to work together to say, we're going to stick to this if you stick to this. It's hard to do. Yeah, it's hard to do in this industry yeah, it because is. it's also very capitalistic when you get higher up in the business, man. It's very, very interesting to watch. I agree. You know? Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm about to move All right, to man. the West well, Coast. So. Yeah. We'll All, right. <clears throat> All right, man. Well, we're going to wrap this up. I, I appreciate you coming in. Um, and uh, talking about your experience, you know, I, I really, I'd love to have you on again, you know, and talk more, you know, you're, you're good. You've got a lot of uh, knowledge, you know, I mean, you've, <laughs> you've did this for so long, you know, and I, I'd love to have you back on and talk more about, you know, this industry. Cause it's, there's so much that goes into it, as you know, you know, Oh man, it is. It's weird too, because it's just like the knowledge is like transferable, but you have to figure out how it's transferable. And um Yeah you start making this knowledge and you only realize you haven't until you're like in there. And it's funny because I never got like crazy big, but it's like, I could talk to people in any part of this industry and I, I know what you're going through. You know what I mean? Like I yep, know exactly what we're doing, but listen, thank you for exactly. having me, man. Love to come back and talk and uh, appreciate you guys. Have a yeah. Good night. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> All right. You too, man. Smooth.